Hi. And welcome to Shared Interest, the podcast where a couple shares their interests of the week with each other. I'm Felicia. I'm James. And this is episode... This is episode one, our first episode. Yeah. Yeah. Should we explain what it is and what we're doing? Go ahead. Go for it. Give a little blurb. Two stories each, right? Yeah. So we're doing this weekly to share, just like the title explains, to share interests that we individually have with each other that we don't necessarily get a chance to talk about. Yeah, you like get a chance to come together and share like what is happening in our own little worlds and bring them to each other. And then also towards the end of the show, share a little thing that we have together. Right. right? So the format of the show will be each of us sharing two different things that I'll go, you go, I'll go, you go. We'll each talk about it with each other, explain it, ask questions, etc. And then once a week, we will also talk about something that we are doing together as a couple. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, the thing that we're doing together as a couple this week that typically would be at the end of an episode is starting a podcast. So this is our thing that we're doing together. <laughs> sure. I have one little note that I'll say at the end that we that we'll have a shared interest in. But um, okay, we can go ahead and start with our own personal stories. I got two solid yeah. ones, I think. What are you talking about this week? I've got a baseball. I've got a sports story and a music story. To talk about. Ooh, okay. Um, I have a food story and a music story to talk about. Okay. <laughs> now you've got, now I want to hear the music story. You do that first. Is does that have to do? You brought your high school yearbook. Yeah. I want to. Uh, is that does that have to do with the music story? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Break okay. into it. Taylor Swift. Okay. <laughs> announced. Shocking. Now you're going to talk about Taylor Swift. I know. Uh-huh. But look, every she has. She's she's in she's the she's not just in the zeitgeist she is my zeitgeist she's okay, the thing. Um, she's but she announced this week the uh, release upcoming release of her fourth re-recording of her master of her album 1989. It comes out on October 27th. She announces. If you don't know, Taylor Swift is re-recording several of her past albums that she doesn't own the masters to, which is a whole other story. Um, but those are basically the recordings that you hear on the radio that you stream. She's re-recording them and re-releasing them. Um, but this is very exciting. 1989 originally came out in 2014, which I do remember this album coming out. And since going back and listening to it, it was really the first Taylor Swift album that I remember a lot of the songs on and really like a lot of the songs on. Um, whereas like the other albums before this, I don't remember. I'm a, I'm a newer Taylor Swift fan for reference. Mm -hmm. Um, but 2014 was the year I graduated high school. So it's, I see that I was a freshman in college, I think. Yeah. It's the, it was a pivotal moment in my life. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to think back like 2014, like those, her songs on that album are very iconic. Um, shake it off. Out of the Woods. That's on that album? Yeah. I don't know Out of the Woods. Are we uh, Out of the Woods yet? Are no, we Out of the Woods? Uh, uh, um, style, Blank uh, yeah, Space. Yeah, I know those two. Like, those yes, are very, very iconic popular. Taylor Swift songs, yes. right? Um, and they're very, I feel like they're very uh, representative of 2014. Mm-hmm. So you know how in yearbooks, you don't often go back to your yearbook for this, but in yearbooks... They have a section on what was happening in the world. 
Really? Like a time, time. time capsule section? And I was like, oh, I really want to like talk about 2014 and what it was like. So mm -hmm. I went and found my yearbook. Have you ever done a time capsule? Didn't we do one of those in like elementary school? Did we? I think so. I think I did. I think we did a time, cap time capsule. Okay. For when it turned uh, 2000, maybe? For the turn of the millennium, oh. I think. Okay. When are they going to open it again? No 3, idea. 000? I don't know. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Um... So I turned to the section in my yearbook that talks about the world news of 2013-2014. And it talks about lots of different things that are really funny. Um, LeBron not wearing a headband, being a big thing on Twitter. Twitter just priced their IPO. Interesting. Um, LeBron taking off his headband and delivery his, his receding hairline. Yeah. Delivery drones. Nice. I see those around Miami all the time. Uh, Fitbit was just a thing. And um, people being super anti-genetically modified organisms. Anti-GMO. Obamacare. Um, but it has a whole section on music. Taylor Swift is not mentioned once, which is totally fine because this came out, my yearbook came out during the summer and her album didn't come out until October. But I thought it was interesting... Um, Bruno Mars was the Super Bowl halftime performer. He was the first one to do it under the age of 30. Okay, interesting. Um, Macklemore that. and Ryan Lewis won the Grammy for Best New Artist and ba Best Rap Song. Oh, they, out, uh, they beat out uh, Kendrick Lamar that year, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Casey Musgraves, whose sound has changed significantly since then. Lord for Royals, her song Royals. I mean... Interesting stuff. Do you remember where you were in 2014? Like I said, I was a freshman in high school. So no, you weren't. You were a freshman, a freshman in college. college. Sorry. So I was in Boston at the time. Jimmy Fallon took over The Tonight Show. I don't remember 1989 coming out. Well, yeah. I mean, what, tell me what are these? What, can you give a little bit of background on like the masters and why she's going back and re-recording these albums? So with her original record company that she was signed with. Was that Big Machine? Up until. Um, the very big country label in Nashville. I think she I was think signed. they're partially with... owned by Universal. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, let me look this up so I don't get her wrong. But her. Um, Yes, so Big Machine Records sold her, she always wanted to own her masters, and she didn't own her masters, her record label did. Mm -hmm. um, and then they sold them out, they didn't give her a chance to buy them. Uh, this was like around 2017, 2018, I want to say. And they sold them to somebody else, someone named, a producer named Scooter Braun, who now owns them. She has never liked Scooter Braun, and she never got the chance to buy her her masters. So... Instead, she is going back, and and I think Scooter Braun offered to sell them back to her for yeah, a ridiculous they, amount they of money. Worked, she, he was her producer for several years, right? And they, I like, don't know. Worked, they, I think they worked together very closely um, and then had a nasty divorce, right? Like, I, that I don't know. Yeah. But um, they were sold out from underneath her, and she was very upset about it. Mm -hmm. And so she's going back and re-recording mm -hmm. all of her first, I think it's seven albums up until Reputation. Um and re-releasing them with um, several what she calls from the vault tracks, which are tracks that sort of almost made the album that were written around the same time that could have gone on the album. So she's incentivizing her fans to go back, listen to the songs that she has re-recorded, 
and also incentivizing them by putting on these new new songs that we've never heard before. Um, She's an incredible marketer, you know, content generator. Yeah. Like, um, I wonder how much work really went into these re-records, right? Because she's kind of doing them simultaneously while she's on tour, right? Or, is that well, right? or do you think she has them all done already? People think that she has them all done already. Like she just did them all yeah. in the course of a year. And she's whatever. also, she's known for giving these sort of Easter egg hints to her fans. So mm -hmm. she's very methodical yeah, and very planned like out. She's like created a little universe. Yes. For her fans yeah. That's a great to, way to put it. The Taylor Swift. Universe. It's like, yeah, it's the Swift verse. It's like the um, Marvel verse. Like. But so 1989 is the next one to come out mm -hmm. and I'm very excited for it. Like I said, it's the first like Taylor Swift album that I remember beyond like the popular singles. It was the first one I was like, Oh my God. Really? I remember when her first album came out. Like, like I remember, I don't remember that. I remember like our song. Like I remember some of this, this popular singles, but like this is the first one I was like, I like watch the music I video. I remember when she like came on the scene. Okay. Like, well then you can hold that over my head. <laughs> that you're, you were an OG Taylor Swift fan and I was not. No, I wasn't even like a fan of her back then really. I just rem remember her, uh, you know, like I said, coming on the scene a little bit. Yeah. Um, and 1989 did really stick out, does stick out in my mind, I think, because it did kind of mark a shift in her music, where to she became, pop. like, yeah. more bubble pop. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, actually, I was watching a TikTok on this yesterday, where her album before this was Red, where she did dip her toe into pop music a little bit. But she was, uh, critics criticized the Red album because synonically... Sonically? Sonically. <laughs> Sonically, it was not consistent. Um, and she was very much in between her record label and putting out what she wanted. And so that's why she felt like it sonically wasn't a consistent album because she was trying to appease her record label and her fans and put out music she wanted to write. Yeah, I don't really so, remember Red too much. What was... 1989, she was like, screw what everybody says. I'm going to put out, I'm going to go with this pop direction and put out what I want to put out. And it was her, one of her worst years in terms of personally, like this is when the Kanye Taylor Swift, um, stuff started bubbling up the phone call and all that. Um, I don't even remember that. And then she I came out with reputation. I remember what Kanye did to Taylor. I don't remember Taylor being in the fault about that at all. Well, Kanye's fans came after Taylor and. Yeah, but for what? For like, I don't really know the whole story, but I'm just <laughs> saying this is like her time where like she, personally she wasn't very happy and she kind of like disappeared for a little bit after this album came out and then she came out with this the the product of that time was reputation mm -hmm. that next album hmm. yeah uh interesting but yeah so that re-record is released will be released on october 27th I'm really fascinated I'll be by like, down the, days. The, the economics behind the machine that is Taylor Swift. I like, know. She is an she... entire sub-genre of yeah. like the music industry, which is incredible. Which kind of segues nicely into what I want to talk about. Okay. I want to go the complete opposite end of the spectrum of Taylor Swift. Okay. Right? Like, Taylor, Small. Taylor Swift is like ultimate Madonna level. Yeah. Like icon. tour. Yeah. Total icon, right? And this guy is the exact opposite, right? Uh, this guy, his name is Oliver Anthony. He's gone mega viral. It's like the past three, four days or something okay, like that. Okay, what's mega viral? 
like uh, I think this song that I will play for you in a sec has like millions of views already in the past. Okay. It was like up to 1.2 million when I checked last night, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Barstool shared him. Joe Rogan shared him. I'll, I'll get into the specifics in okay. a little bit. Um, so he, I don't know how old he is. I think he's mid-30s, something like that. Um, he's from Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, like Appalachian country, Appalachian, Appalachian country, uh, coal mining country, <laughs> yeah. right? Like he like worked in factories a lot of his life. Um, and uh, he had a really tough time during the pandemic, right? Like a bunch of factories shut down like lost a job could pay like slipped into alcoholism mm-hmm. and deep depression and drug mm-hmm. addiction right um and always wanted to play music but could never pay his bills by playing you know he never traveled much he's like a really you know podunk kind of hard working mm-hmm. you know blue collar guy mm-hmm. um i'll pull up a video of him in a sec um and i'll post links to the videos and everything like you can see that he's like ginger got a big beard right um but he's very nice he's like soft-spoken and very kind um he made it like a deal with god he's not a religious person but like like i said he was super drunk he was super high uh and he made a deal with god to get sober and he'll be allowed to keep playing music right he's like i'll get sober if you let me keep playing music mm-hmm. right uh, he got sober he was sober for like 30 days right um just kind of playing songs he had never recorded a song on a microphone before he had only recorded on his um phone okay and like he still posted them to spotify and like youtube and uh apple music and a couple things but nothing caught on but 30 days after he got sober and made this deal with god so to speak he mm-hmm. he was asked to come record a song for like his friend's youtube channel or whatever just in their backyard with a couple of dogs running around and like deer stands up in the trees and stuff like that and this is the song that went viral. Mm-hmm. It's called Richmond North of Richmond. Right? Is he, uh, did he write this? He wrote it. Okay. Yeah. He writes all his songs. They're all original material. I'm going to play it for you. I want to get your reaction to it. Okay. You're going to play the whole thing? Yep. Okay. I have listened to it on and off. I have tried to avoid listening to it all the way through from start to finish. Okay. Because I wanted to get my genuine reaction for it as well. Um, you tell me, I'll, you can see the video and I'll, like I said, I'll post the video later, but you tell me what you think and tell me if the mic can get it. Wake up, 
Okay. I like that. Radio WV, Radio West Virginia, right? Mm -hmm. uh, does isn't it just like full of pain and like sorrow? Yeah, and... I mean, it, I think it fits really well into this new uh, bluegrass wave of Americana country that's sort blue of steel like growing again. Tyler Childers, yeah. uh, Zach Bryan yeah. is kind of in that vein. Like I said, Appalachian country, yeah. West Virginia coal mining country, like. But also like a socially conscious country. Yeah, as that's well. commenting like protest on music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's commenting on the state. And like I said, entirely independent. Yeah. Like doesn't have a label, just recorded it on his phone. Um and now like I said, he's being shared all over the internet. He got a Twitter, his handle is called Ain't Got a Dollar, which is another name of one of his songs that he's recorded. He's been shared by Joe Rogan, all sorts of country artists. Barstools picked him up. Um, he has a show now booked for tomorrow, August 13th, as the day we're recording this in North Carolina, at just like a farmer's market where there's mm. food and drinks. I imagine hundreds or thousands of people are going to show up. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, he has an offer to, uh, make a record. I don't think, I don't know if it's like an LP, an EP of a full length project from John Rich from Big and Rich. Oh, He's okay. offered to like pay for his entire recording suite like yeah um yeah and that's great i don't know it's just like a, a good feel-good story sure. yeah um like i said kind of the total opposite opposite end of the spectrum of taylor swift yeah like, just uh you know it, like he's posted videos of a couple videos of him like talking for the radio show and stuff like that and he's like very positive guy like i said he's very soft-spoken he's very respectful um, very humble, right? Like I say, he's like 34 years old, worked most of his life in factories and what have you. He does give Tyler Childers vibes. Yeah. I mean, like, he's got... Flaming ginger. Red hair. <laughs> he makes jokes about that. Too, comments right? on the state of our society. Yeah. But I, in I interviews, really, is like very quiet and pull back. I really hope those artists embrace him and don't push back against him because they feel like he, he's like, uh, you know, taking up some of their share right uh hopefully you know i feel like that's very anti what I they're singing about though, I, like. I agree yeah i think it would be antithetical yeah. to what yeah. we think most of them are like yeah. but uh so like i said hopefully i don't know his journey's just getting started cool i'm gonna follow him i'm gonna send him this podcast when we're done i got his email oh my god mm -hmm. yeah okay cool you got story you too yes have you listened to any of his other music Yes. So like I said, I wanted to kind of avoid it to get my okay. full reaction to that one specific viral song, but now I'll go back and listen to his other stuff. Like I said, he's that's the only song he's recorded through a microphone. The rest All are the just rest is on a phone, on so phone. it's not of the best quality, but still. But still, it's good. Okay. Your my, other one's about food? Yes. That's good. 
So I like food. I want to ask you a question. Okay. If you see burrata on the menu burrata. at a restaurant, do you order it? Depend on the restaurant. Generally. I don't know. I would ask when I, I'm the type when I go to a restaurant, I ask for recommendations. Is the okay. burrata recommended? Just answer the question. <laughs> uh, no, I would say it's like that's. When I go to a restaurant, I look to maybe be a little bit more adventurous, and burrata seems like a very safe choice. Okay, interesting that you say that, because this week, uh, Grub Street, which is um, a publication that covers food, specifically New York, mm-hmm. um, one of their uh, columnists published a column called A Big Fat, a big fat Blob of Boring. Can we cool it with all the burrata balls? Burrata. <laughs> A big fat blob of boring. So here are, here are some That's of her quotes. Rough. Who's this? Who is it? Uh, Tammy. This this already is giving like a one star Peter Luger's vibes, right? Like yeah. You're just like. Tammy Teclamarian. Teclamarium. Who is a an incredibly well-respected food writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the first diner at large at Grub Street. She spent all of last year eating at... Um, almost every single restaurant in New York City. Like she's a, that, she started that column, and then when the year was up, now she's writing this other column, um, which is called the Underground Gourmet. Okay. Okay. So these are some of her quotes that I pulled directly from her story. Too often, the burrata is the focal point. A thick blob of cold dairy that gets a few splashes of seasonal garnishes and a $20 price tag. Like truffles or caviar, it has turned into a crutch for some other chefs. Only someone with lactose intolerance could consider burrata to be bad. But all too often, it's predictable. Like a steak for two, a raw bar tower, or a very nice bread with house butter. Burrata is serviceable and totally unsurprising. I, I would, when you said it's like a crutch, I get that. Yes. Like it's an easy thing. And I was thinking of price too. Price is going to factor into this. I was going to say $18 is probably like a burrata dish on a yep, regular menu. Yep, that's what she said. Right? Yep. Um, so she's noticed burrata is everywhere. It's on every single menu. It's it very really, easy to prepare. It really doesn't matter where, what kind of cuisine the uh, restaurant is serving. It's very, it's a very predictable thing to find on a menu. Universal. Days, right. So... In her column and also like in my own food world, I work in food media in my own experience. The why is like, why is it on every single menu now? Um, She said part of it is because it's increased domestic production, um, places like TikTok, it's oozy presentation. Increased domestic production, you mean in the US? Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, because like 10 years ago, it was fancy. It was being flown in from Italy, Mm -hmm. right? Now it's made... In Buffalo, New York. Well, probably not. Well, maybe, actually. <laughs> um, but it's, presentation-wise, it has this, like, oozy, gooey, very, like, it's very social media, aesthetically and, uh, pleasing, yeah, yeah, thing that you can film and like put on your social spot. media. Um, restaurant, this was a point she made, restaurateurs are recovering from the pandemic, um, so it's easy to put a dish like this on their menu and know that it's going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's my point is it's Probably a flashy dish that most quote unquote foodies pride themselves on knowing, but is still a crowd pleaser. Um, and it's interesting. It's 2023. I remember the first time I heard about burrata. It was like 
I remember my first piranha experience. Well, let me tell you mine and I'll tell you, then you can tell me yours. The first time I had it, I want to say it was like 2017 or 2018. I was on a pizza tour in New York City in Brooklyn. And we went to this pizza place called uh, Lindustry, I think is how you pronounce it. It's like industry, but with an L apostrophe. Um, oh, like Lindustry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Except, no. Um, but they have, uh, I don't know what it's called. And she actually mentioned this place in her column. And I like, I forgot. I'd forgotten about this pizza. I'd forgotten about this experience. I forgot that that was the first time I had burrata. When she mentioned, uh, like, you know, this unlocked a corner of my brain. So it was on pizza? So it's a, it's a slice. I remember it being like, your regular schmegular cheese New York slice, but they put cut up burrata blobs and it was like the actual slice of pizza was like smoking hot super crispy on the bottom and then you had these like cool dollops of burrata all over mm -hmm. it just to the, like counterbalance the textures and temperature you of the see, rest of it do it was, you even know how burrata is made like how do they get it to be like that? it's uh cream injected into the center of okay, so mozzarella I th maybe i've seen that before yeah, yeah. um but I, like, I remember literally being like, oh my God, this is life changing. This is so cool. Like I need to come back to this place to get this pizza again. Like I will travel back to this place to get this pizza again. I've never been back there, but, um, it, it was just like, I was like, this is so cool. And I remember like I researched what burrata was. And then like, I remember it slowly turning up in grocery stores and now you can get it anywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. When was the first time you had burrata Do you remember? I was on a work trip out to Montauk, Long Island. Uh -huh. Um, we were going out for a golf tournament or something, and we stopped at a restaurant on the way. It was a restaurant that my coworker had been to a lot and like goes every time she went on this trip. Um, and we went and uh, we sat down and got dinner, and I didn't know what it was. I saw it on the menu. I said it was like a burrata salad or mm -hmm. something like that, right? Um, and I said, ooh, what's that? And she said, it's a cheese. You've never had burrata before? And I said, no, I never have. So I ordered it, and it came, and it looked just like mozzarella, right? And then I cut it open and it, I was like, oh my God, it blew my mind. Yeah. And it was good because it's it's like lighter than mozzarella, right? Both in texture and in flavor, I feel like it's- uh, Oh, interesting. It's, I would describe like it as heavier. Salty. No, I wouldn't because describe it's... it as heavier. I would describe it as like springier and lighter. Like, um, yeah, that's what I would say. I, that's one of the reasons I like it. It's like a, not quite, it's like a, like not as heavy a mozzarella. That's what I think. Okay. Well, so I love burrata. I was thinking about like her point and if she's right, if I think she's right, if I agree with her that bur that burrata is boring and burrata is a crutch. And she also made the point that like there are, are plenty of restaurants out there doing really cool things with burrata. But for the most part, when you find it on a menu, it's a crutch, it's a crowd pleaser, it's an easy thing to order, right? Mm -hmm. So... I was reflecting on this and I was thinking about, I love burrata. I'll often get it from the grocery store, but I- It's great at home. Don't, yeah, I'm yeah. not really, like like you said in the beginning, I don't often order it at a restaurant because I know that I can recreate that same thing at home. Yeah, and like because it's For a kind much of cheaper price. become so universal. Like yeah. how often do you hear of a restaurant specializing in burrata, right? right? right. Like, oh, everyone goes there for their burrata, yeah. right? No one says that. It's like just a placeholder on a menu. Right. Um, you know, people go like for their lamb ribs or something, you yeah. know, like, you know, something that's a little bit so, more niche. Right? 
I was thinking about this idea of an ingredient or a flashy dish being something that most restaurants have on their menu to be an easy sell. Um, and was thinking about the fact that food media does this often. They criminalize an ingredient for being too boring when it lands on a restaurant menu that kind they love. Yucking your yum, right? Sure. With little care for creativity. This is, I'm reading from what I wrote down because I thought it was very insightful. Um, food media criminalizes an ingredient for being too boring when it lands on a restaurant menu that they love. Um, when they, when the restaurant puts it together with little care for creativity or pizzazz to impress the frequent diner who wants to be blown away by every course. I myself am even guilty of criminalizing an ingredient. And I wrote an article when I worked at Delish about truffles and how truffles, truffles. are really not that yeah, good. Yeah, I was going to just... say, what are some other criminalized ingredients? So truffles, like most, so what was it, when I was thinking, little when I was thinking about past examples, truffles is a really good one because it's one of those things where like, like they see a dish. It doesn't really matter what the dish is. If the word truffle is in it, people are like, oh, truffle. Like uh-huh. caviar is another example. Um, oysters like on a half shell. Had a resurgence, yeah, I was going to say that. Caviar uh-huh. has definitely had a, an interesting resurgence with the younger generation. I However, can't, I can't think of any of them. Most of these ingredients that the food media criminalizes in this cyclical pattern um, are... Brussels sprouts. That's a really good one. Mm -hmm. But most of them are... Same. Brussels sprouts can be really good, right? Can I make my point? (laughs) Um, They... Most of these uh, ingredients or dishes are signs of wealth. And they're expensive, fancy ingredients. Um, Like... Oysters, truffle, caviar. Burrata is one that isn't necessarily that expensive. And if you order it, it doesn't really show that you are wealthy. However, it is sort of this signaling in the food world that like in some way you know your stuff because you know what burrata is. You know more than like the... The, the mozzarella man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Brussels, I think, is a, also another good example of this where it's not necessarily expensive, but Brussels have had this resurgence in the last, like, I would argue 15 years um, where now they're on every menu and people are... If, if you go to a restaurant with someone who, like, doesn't consider themselves a foodie and you sit down and they're like, you're like, oh, the Brussels sprouts are good. And they're like, Brussels sprouts, but those are gross. And you're like, well if you don't like Brussels sprouts and you just haven't had them prepared correctly, you know, like it's one of those things that I feel like now that I'm talking about it with you out loud, it's either a sign of wealth or it's this like signal that like, I know my stuff in the food world. Yeah. And it's to like show your fellow diners that like you, but you can do that. You can introduce someone to an interesting dish without being like that. Right. Sure. Brussels sprouts are particularly interesting. Yeah. But, I remember when I had Brussels sprouts for like the first time in that sort of context. It was like in a bar in New York and I, they had like $16 Brussels sprouts with, you know, chili pepper and sliced Bacon almonds and, and stuff like that. Bacon crispiness. Yeah. And, yeah. and they were good. They were delicious. So yeah. I rock my world just like the burrata did. Because yeah. <laughs> um... I remember as a kid, my mom would make steamed whole... Sorry, mom, if you're listening. Um, they were delicious. I love them, Brussels but they were sprouts. awful. They were steamed whole Brussels sprouts that she made with steamed a, could be tough. One of those steam, one of those steamers that like unfolds uh-huh, like, like a butterfly. Lotus flower. Yeah, or uh-huh. and they were horrible. They <laughs> tasted like 
dishwater. Like they were just, <laughs> they, they had no texture. They had no, I remember Jeez. like, these are so cute. Like, Sorry, they're like, mom. They're yeah, like little geez. balls of lettuce, but they're like disgusting. So my mom never made Brussels sprouts. I think probably because she assumed I would not touch them with a 10 foot pole probably. Well, I would have Just liked to not touch them the with a 10-foot pole, but that was not a, a choice. A terrible stigma around them. Was, you have to eat at least four Brussels uh, sprouts if you're going to leave this. Stigma. I feel like they're kind of maybe a product of like the 60s and 70s, right? Like oh, I feel yeah, like yeah, the yeah. 60s and 70s food scene was they may so have even, weird. They may like, have even been from a can. And it like really tainted well, like and, nine, 80s and 90s food. Like Well, so the, the invention of uh, canned food became popular during that period, but it had a serious resurgence in the 90s with this whole like semi-homemade uh-huh. uh, movement of like, yeah, using these mixes that you aren't 100% store-bought, but you bring it home and you finish the cooking. Mm-hmm. So that's like vegetables from a can, cake in a box, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I, I love, like burrata. I love burrata. I also want to make the point, I do think it's important. I don't have a problem yucking anyone's yum when it comes to this, because I do think it's the job of food media it's to remi- call out. Well, this reminds me of like the one-star Peter Lugers. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like they need to, yeah, a system problem. that's been in, not like a system that's been in place for a long time, but like a thing that's been in place for a long time that no one's called out. Disruption. Like, I... I love it when a columnist or food writer writes about something and you're like, oh my God, this is so true, but you never even like... Realized it yourself. Like you always had it in your brain, but yeah. never have been able to put words to it. Like, yeah. 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 Like it wouldn't be... What we're going out for. to dinner tonight. Okay. Barada could be on the restaurant menu oh, tonight. I forgot we're going out to dinner. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, we're going to like a Thai restaurant and I would not be surprised if Barada's on the menu. I would be a little surprised and I would... Maybe you want to order it. It depends on how that's prepared. Yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. That's my story. I love burrata, but sometimes it can be boring. That was interesting. Take us home. Okay. Sports story now. More feel-good stuff. I don't want to bring two feel-good stories. Um, this one is about the Little League World Series. Okay. Right? One of my favorite times of the year. Kicks off August 16th. That's four days from now. Yep. There are 337 games to be played. Where is it? take place it takes place in williamsport pennsylvania okay um did you play in the little league world series so i never even played in little league right my oh. i played in a completely different league i played in cal Ripken league um it was never little, little league it's much smaller than little league okay um but kind of the same thing right um so they just last night finished up all the regional tournaments right um all the teams are slated now they have the brackets totally full so you have to make it I mean, what do you mean? There's like it? a pre-tournament that happens to decide yeah. how many teams. Yeah, there's like, the okay, you know, county level, then state level, yep, then uh, okay. yep. regional yep. level, yep, right, yep. yep. Um, some interesting teams are uh, Nolansville, Tennessee, is okay. representing the Southeast. That they're, they're from right around Nashville. They're pretty interesting. They've made the Little League World Series three years in a row. Wow. They wear like Vanderbilt colors. Their uniforms are pretty cool. Are there? Sorry. I won't interrupt you. You can ask. Well, I was going to say, are there any team, are there any like, like is Nolansville, Tennessee known Little League team? Like, they're like, yeah, 20% of the people who play on our Little League team make it to the MLB. Is there any like no. feeder teams like that where no. it's like. Not that young. Okay. No. Um, no. Well, I the feel vast like... majority of these kids probably like won't even go on to play college baseball. Like Really? 
Yeah. How how old is Little League? Like 11? These kids are 12. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Still, though, I feel like if you're 12 and you make it to the Little League World Series, I'd ride that. It's a blast, right? So, right, I played on Cal Ripken, and I won the regional tournament when I was 11, but we couldn't go to the World Series because it was, like, too small. We weren't in Little League, right? There there wasn't World Series. Um, There's no World Series for Cal Ripken. There is, but, like, the age brackets are different, and so I wasn't in the right age bracket. I don't know. We lost them. We, you would we have been pro if you hadn't hurt yeah, your exactly, knee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of cool – so – uh, there's an American bracket, the USA bracket, and there's an international bracket, uh-huh. right? Um, so these play individually, like in their own country region. And then one winner selected, and they like one winner from the U.S., one winner from Cuba, one winner from Panama, and they enter their own international. No, there is a U.S. bracket that yeah. consists of various regions: Midwest, Metro, South. But these Southwest. teams never play each other to get one World Series winner. There's a bracket, right? Like, and they play each other and they go against each other and they eliminate each other until there's a winner of the USA. And then that winner doesn't play Cuba or Panama at all? No. Um, not really, I don't think. Um, and then there's an international bracket. Here, we can pull up the bracket. They have it. The most interesting part is like they're building an entire, it's like its own little regional economy, right? Like they have apps like i said there's 337 games slated for espn in just like two weeks or something like that mm-hmm. um here i have some interesting facts there are more games played in the 45 day tournament than in six full seasons of major league baseball wow mm-hmm. first one was played in 1947 the league was founded by like a oil company's clerk in pennsylvania or something you just like started it so kids could play baseball there's over 2 million members across the world right now. Um, yeah, there's a home run derby this year. Something else that's interesting is that they refuse to call Taiwan Taiwan and call it Chinese Taipei. Um, the World Series, the Little League World Series organization? Yeah. Why? Because it's like a political thing. Like they have teams from China, and China won't play in the Little League if they call... Chinese, if they call Taiwan, Taiwan. That's interesting. They'll only play if they call Taiwan, Chinese, Taipei. And Taiwan will still play if they're called that? Yes. And and they've, so they've been to the most, most Little League World Series besides Japan. Taiwan has? In international, yeah. They're going for the 31st time. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, just interesting. Uh, A team punched their ticket to the World Series yesterday after being no hit through the entire game. Their last batter of the game hit a two-run walk-off home run and put them in the World Series. It's like every oh, kid's a dream. Oh, that's right? fun, yeah. Yeah. Um, that kid will ride that for the rest yeah, of his life. <laughs> there are teams from Curacao, the Czech Republic, um, um, Tijuana, Mexico, Australia, like I said, Cuba. And they all come Tokyo, to Pennsylvania? And they all come to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. They have like uh, host families that stay with them. There's like, like I said, there's an entire like complex That's campus so there. And these probably, they like don't, they don't even speak the same language. Like, nope. There's translators, right? They got translators. It's all Lily, right? A lot of it's volunteers. I, I should have pulled up some volunteer stats, but a ton of it is just volunteers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's great. So like I said, it starts August 16th. I'm going to be watching. Something okay. that my fantasy football league likes to do is we assign each of us at random a Little League World Series team, and whoever performs the best, that's how our draft order is decided. So I'll always be watching closely for that reason. Are but you doing that again this year? I think so. I don't know. It might just be a random draft order. Like I said, they just activated the league, so I got to look into random it. Random isn't fun, though. I like when you have this little, little I know, it is fun, interesting right? way that things play out uh, a lot of well a lot of times it's like competitions and stuff when we're together but we're very all rarely all together at once yeah so you gotta like come up with what do you like kind of random dizzy bad it or something yeah that's what we do or do like golf competitions oh. and stuff like that you know um okay. yeah all right right on so that's both our stories mm-hmm. um so now would be the time that we would typically talk about the thing we're doing together but yeah i want to talk about we're something together. that we're going to do together we spent some time doing some stargazing in the summer and it's something that I want to get back into. It's definitely more my interest than your interest. Oh yeah. But, I forgot you said you were going to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, but the Perseid meteor shower peaks tonight mm-hmm. between midnight and dawn. We already saw a video of a comet yesterday in Florida. Um, yeah. It's like the most active meteor shower all year round. Yeah. The uh, thing is, um, we're not gonna, we live in the middle yeah. of Miami. <laughs> so probably not going to be light able to pollution is not in favor also, turn around and look at the weather right now. Like, turn, literally, I don't know, but it might, cl- it might clear up. I know, but like, it's, I know. I'm, you can't see anything no, right now. It's pouring. It, it's, it's fine. Um, but, although it rarely rains at night here, I'll say that. Exactly. Um, it'll rain for an hour and then it'll clear up and be 95 degrees. So again. you want to sit outside tonight? And how late do we have to stay up? Like I said, after midnight. Oh. That's not that bad. We've, I haven't been up past midnight and. I'll do it. I was up past midnight last night. It'll okay. be fine. All right. Thank you for listening. That's a wrap. Thank you. See you next week.